Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. Mark's Gospel, beginning there in the fourth chapter, beginning at the 26th verse. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. While the sun is not shining this morning, I do hope that you are glad that you are here in God's temple and that we do have an opportunity to worship our Lord. As you heard me mention, today is the 17th Sunday after Trinity. We are getting along now in the last part of the second half of the church year. And the text that I just read, it's a parable that Jesus spoke when he was up on the Sea of Galilee one day. It's a rather simple parable, but it tells us something tremendous about the Word of God that Jesus has given us as the tool whereby we are to win the world for him. He has given us a tool, you know, the Word. And he has told us to take this tool and to go out and to make Christians. And we need to know something about this tool, this thing that he has given us, the Word. And in this simple parable, he tells us what we need to know and what the church dare not forget. He said, the kingdom of God, the church is like a man who goes out and he puts seed into the ground. And then after he has done that, he goes and he sleeps and he gets up and that goes on day after day. But in the meantime, Jesus says, that seed, that begins to sprout and it begins to grow. And the earth gives forth first the blade and then it gives forth the ear and then the head and the ear and then there comes ripeness and then there comes the sickle and then there comes the harvest. You may say, Preacher, what is he trying to tell us about the word, the tool that he has given us and given the church, whereby we are to go out and we are to win men for him and for eternal life? He is saying this, that the seed is the word of God. And the word of God is just like that seed that the sower went out and cast into the ground. He is telling us this, that as regards the seed, the tool that he has given us to use in order to make Christians, that it has all the power, it's got all the energy, it's got all the dynamite that it needs to accomplish its purpose. He is telling you and me that that seed of itself, it doesn't lack a thing. It is the perfect answer for the job that he has given it to do. It absolutely fails in nothing. It's ample. It's equal to the job. It's sufficient. He tells you and me, I couldn't give you a better tool for the job that I want you to do than the tool that I have given you, the seed, the word of God. And you and I may look at that today and we may say to ourselves, I would to God I could believe that. 
How many of us say to ourselves, here we are, we're to go out and to win the world for Christ. We are to go out and to evangelize. We are to make Christians. And here he has given us the word. And that's the tool we are to use. And we say, what to God that it had some dynamite about it. That it had some power. That it had some energy. That it could do the job. Paul calls it the foolishness of preaching. You and I may say, think of it, through the foolishness of preaching, we are to go out and to make Christians. We may say to ourselves, why didn't you give us something that works? Why is it that there are millions who have heard the word of God, nothing's happened? Why is it that the church is losing ground? What's wrong with the word? What's wrong with the tool? What's wrong with the thing he's given the church to you? This thing, the foolishness of preaching. And we may say in disappointment, he might just as well have told us to go on out and to plow up the surface of the earth and given us a stick to do it. Or he might just as well have told us to go out and to bucket out the water out of the ocean to give us a sail. If he wanted us to go out and to win the world for him, why in the world didn't he give us a tomb well, that works? Why didn't he give us something that's got the power and the energy and the dynamite. Well, you know, friend, up there on the Sea of Galilee one day, he told this simple little parable talking about the man that cast the seed into the ground and then the seed, while the man went and did other things, it again, it began to flourish and it began to grow. And even though the man didn't realize, and Jesus is saying to you and me this morning, as he speaks from the Sea of Galilee through the Word, he's saying, Are you wondering about the tool that I have given you to go out and make disciples of all nations? Are you wondering how effective? I assure you this. I couldn't give you a better tool than what I've given you, my Word. It has all the power. It's got all the energy. It's got all the dynamite about it. And even though you may say it's foolish, this thing of preaching, and you may say it's just like a stick to plow up the world. It's like a sieve to carry water. Uh, Jesus says, I want you to know this about my word. My word is spirit and my word is life. And he reminds you and me this morning that the Holy Ghost, the third person of the Trinity, he works and operates in the word of God. That Jesus would have you and me, oh, there's something true about his word that is not true of any other word in the world. That God works. This is the Holy Spirit's workshop. And Jesus would assure you and me that the Holy Spirit working through the word of God he gives this word all the power that it needs so that it never fails. It is always successful when men do not fight it. You and I may say, do you mean to say that this word never fails? That it's always successful? That it always wins when men do not fight it? Do you mean to say that there is no failure in connection with this word by the foolishness of the preaching of it? And I challenge you this morning, you give me one case where the word through the foolishness of preaching has ever failed, where it was not successful when men stopped fighting it. You and I can't name any incident where it ever failed, but what it was successful when men didn't fight it because the Holy Spirit, he works here. This is a different kind of a word than any other word in the world. And let's look at it for the moment and let's challenge it. Do you mean to say that Christ, when he gives us this tool and says, go out and win the world for me, that it's got everything, that it lacks nothing, that it's equal to the job, that even he couldn't give the church anything any more effective than the word? 
You mean to say that it never fails, that it always wins, it is always successful because the Spirit gives it that power? That's right, because in the first place, Jesus would assure you and me of this, that the Holy Spirit gives the Word. It gives it all the power that is necessary so that it never fails, but it always succeeds in bringing us through regeneration and bringing us to conversion to a living faith in Jesus Christ as long as we don't fight it. You may say, preacher, what do you mean by fighting it? Well, let's go back to the parable. Suppose the man that sowed the seed that said, I refuse to cast the seed into the ground. You and I would immediately say, well, if he didn't plant it or he didn't sow it, there wouldn't be any kind of a growth. And yet I would ask you, is there something wrong with the seed? When I was down in Egypt and then Ruth and I flew down from Cairo down to Luxor to the Valley of the Kings and some of you have been there, it was our privilege to go into the tomb of King Tut. And in that tomb again, hewn out of solid rock, we were told that when they found it, it was simply filled with all kinds of jewels and rubies and uh, all manner of money and all manner of luxury and some seeds. Seeds that had been buried for centuries. Those seeds didn't sprout in there. Were they dead? Was there something wrong with them? We were told that they took those seeds out of King Tut's tomb that had been buried for centuries and they put them in the soil and those seeds grew. You and I would say a seed is perfect, but again, it's subject to certain contingencies. It's subject to certain conditions that the seed, you can't fight it, you've got to sow it, you've got to plant it. And the same way with the Word of God, you and I must know this, that about the Word of God that we have as the children, it's not an irresistible power. It is not something that you and I say there's no condition attached. If the Word of God were irresistible, then God would say it's going to work and it's going to force everybody to heaven. Wouldn't heaven be a horrible place? If the Word of God was an irresistible thing and every man had to spend eternity in heaven, oh, what murmuring and complaining there would be in heaven. And say, I never wanted to come here. And supposing a seed were irresistible, subject to no contingencies whatsoever, just about the time you take an ear of corn and ready to eat it, it would blossom forth and begin to sprout and you couldn't store a seed. No seed is irresistible. There are some contingencies. And because you and I were created with a free will, the Word of God is perfect. It's got everything, but it is not irresistible. You and I can fight it and say no. When a man doesn't fight it, when as the sower, a man casts it in the ground or allows it to come. Do you know of any cases where the Word of God has ever failed? Let's look at some big sinners for the moment. Go back again. One we always forget usually, and you and I don't think of him as a big sinner, is Adam and his wife Eve. Have you ever realized the enormity of their sin when they disobeyed God? when they who were the world sinned and this world fell into sin and there came death and heartache and wars and rumors of wars and sickness and illness and hatred and man's inhumanity to man. They sinned. They deliberately sinned. But again, Adam and Eve, they ran and they hid, didn't they? And God came and talked to them. Did they resist? Did they say, no, we're not going to listen? They did not fight it. And God came through his word and brought Adam and Eve to sorrow for sin brought them to a conviction of sin. And then with the power of his word, he brought them to faith in the Savior to come. 
in Genesis 3.15 when God spoke to them and I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel it didn't fail it was successful in the case of Adam and Eve this word bringing them to conversion to a conviction of sin and a faith in the Messiah to come when a man doesn't fight it take David you talk about a big sinner did the word of God fail in his life David, what a sinner he was when one night he looked over on from the roof garden and saw a woman taking a bath and he fell in love with her in a sexual way and had her come over and they had intercourse and she became pregnant and he wanted to blame it on to her husband and he brought him home from the army and he got him drunk so that he'd go home and he'd think he was the father of the child but the husband didn't go home so David had him killed and then Nathan came to him and Nathan told him the story you remember God's word about the man that had a lot of sheep and a poor man that had only one sheep and how he loved that one sheep and he ate with that sheep and he slept with that sheep but the rich man when he got company he went over and he took that one sheep and killed it and served it to his guests and David cried out that man's got to die and Nathan said you're that man David didn't fight it did he he came to a tremendous conviction and again, he came back to a living faith in his God. He again, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And again, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You know of anybody that ever failed again when the word of God came, when a man didn't fight it? Talk about again, here was... St. Paul himself, when he was Saul of Tarsus, when he was on the Damascus way, when again he hated God with a vengeance, but when on the Damascus way, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? When he didn't fight it, what happened? He came to a tremendous conviction of sin. He was brought to a living faith in Jesus Christ. You tell me one case where the word of God, the tool that the church has, has ever failed. When a man stopped fighting it. There was old Levi Matthew, that crooked tax collector. He didn't fight it, and he became again an apostle of Jesus Christ. The woman taken in adultery, she came to a conviction, and she didn't fight Jesus, and he told her, where are your accusers? And she says, they've gone, neither do I condemn, they go in peace. You name one case where again this tool that Christ has given to the church has ever failed when a man has stopped fighting it. It is perfect. Jesus says, I couldn't give the church anything any better. You know, if you and I believe that this morning, we'd say to believe that through the foolishness of preaching. Here a preacher stands up and brings the word of God. Uh, he might as well have given us a stick to go out and to plow up the whole surface of the earth or a sieve to take the water out of the ocean. We may say to ourselves, and you mean to say that that one thing that he has given us, this one tool, uh, this is the perfect answer to what he wants done, and that it, again, because it has the Spirit, it never fails, and it always is successful when men stop fighting it. If you and I believe that, then we ought to have this determination today. We're going to see to it that there will be no substitute in the church for, again, the foolishness of preaching. Our American Lutheran Church is meeting next month down in San Antonio. Ten men are up for president. Oh, it's becoming quite a political grab bag because the man who wins, again, it all depends on what's he going to do. You see, here's what's happening in the church. What's happening in the church? The church is saying, what is the big job of the church? You and I say to win souls for Jesus Christ, but not everybody's agreed. There are those who are saying no. 
The church has got to become secular. The big job of the church is again the question of poverty, the question of hunger, which again is a big question, but this is it. There are those who are ready to drain off money from the mission of the church, its foreign, its world missions, and its American mission, and to put it again into secular things. By secular I mean this, things for the now, things for this world right now. In other words, is the church in existence to become simply another organ of the government, some more of the alphabet soup of a, it's going to do this as regards man's earthly welfare. What do you do if this is what the church is going to become? What do you do when men begin to die and when a family needs comfort? There were six deaths this past week at which I officiated. What do you tell people if it's not going to be Christ? if it's not going to be the way of salvation in his name. What do you tell them if the church is going to become secular? Are we going to stand someday and say, look what we've done in this world, and souls that come that are filled with a sense of guilt, and souls that when death come into their home who want comfort that there's nothing left, are we going to stand? We're going to be ashamed of Jesus Christ and as far as Calvary's concerned, that he looks to the church and we're going to say, we've forgotten all about it, that God's Son came into the world and died for the sins of the world, bore our guilt and our damnation in the church. But he said, here's my word, go out and tell it, we're going to forget all about it. No wonder he cries and says, for God's sake, don't pass me by. Re-crucify me if you want to, but don't just pass me by. This is the thing of the church. Are we going to be just simply a secular government institution? Why the church, oh, when you say the foolishness of preaching, why didn't he give us a stick to go out and follow the world? It's about as effective. Why didn't he go ahead and give us something? Why did he give us a sieve in order to bash out and simply to dish out the waters of the ocean? Jesus, when he was up on the Lake of Galilee, he wants to tell the church something. He said, again, my word, it'll flourish and it grows. You don't know how, but it's got everything. It isn't lacking in a thing. There isn't anything more effective that he could have given the church than that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit operates in that word and the Holy Spirit gives it a power that it never fails. It is always successful when men stop fighting it. Yes, even when men fight it, it isn't a failure. I know individuals that say, well, it's nice if you want it, it's nice if you leave it. Still got the idea that without Jesus Christ there is salvation, and that or the death's going to end everything. May I just say this? The Word of God never fails. When a man rejects it, when the Word of God can't bring a man to repentance and faith because a man says no, then the Word of God's got another way in which it is successful. It damns that man. That's the dynamite that the foolishness of preaching brings. A lot of people have the idea why, what's the difference whether you have Christ or whether you don't have him? May I just tell you this morning, it's this difference between heaven and hell. Don't you ever kid yourself that you can snub Jesus Christ in his word and not be damned. There's teeth in it, buddy. Don't ever kid yourself. This is the dynamite of God. It's not my word, it's his. He stood at the Sea of Galilee one day. He was talking about the tool that he's given the church. 
And he said, the tool is, again, the seed, my word. It's got everything, all the power, all the energy. It's got all the dynamite that it needs. And all because, again, the Holy Spirit gives it power that it never fails. You and I say it doesn't know because Jesus reminds you and me and assures us that the Holy Spirit gives this word all the power that is needed, that it never fails, that it always is successful, as it again causes us to grow and to advance in the Christian life if we don't fight it. Do you know of anybody who again didn't grow in the Christian faith and life who stopped fighting the word of God? I don't. Let's go back to David. You may say, well, what kind of a Christian or what kind of a believer did that critter ever become? When he stopped fighting the word of God. When the word of God and the Holy Spirit came to him and he was no longer hostile to it and when it brought him to repentance and faith, what happened to him? Have you forgotten that David was the author of about half of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, the prayer book of the church today? That in the book of Psalms, this is the prayer book of the church of Jesus Christ where David in joy and in sorrow and in repentance and faith he sings of the glory of God. Have you ever forgotten that God took this man, David, this murderer and this adulterer, and by the word of God sowed in his heart that God says of David that he became a man after my own heart? Imagine. We talk about making silk purses out of sow's ears. May I tell you that the Word of God's got all the power and the energy that it can take you and me sow's ears and it can make silk purses out of you and me and it'll never fail when we give it a chance. When we stop fighting it and that seed comes into your life and mine and it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, we begin to grow. There comes a love in Jesus Christ and we say, I'm going to put him first. I'm no longer going to take his name in vain. I'm going to learn to pray, and I'm going to learn again to give thanks, and I'm going to learn to read his word. And I'm going to go to church. I'm going to join the Thousand Club because I love him. This is what happens when you get out of his way and you let him come. And then we say, I'm going to learn how to honor my parents. They may have their faults, but out of love to Christ, I'm going to grow in honor and in love. And I'm going to get hatred out of my heart against my fellow man. And I'm going to get all wicked thoughts of adultery and incest out of my mind. I'm not going to break up my home. I'm not going to break up marriage. I'm not going to bring ruin on my kids. It's wrong. This is not Christ-like. When you and I stop fighting, when you let it come in, I don't know of a soul who hasn't grown, do you? You and I grow every day if we give him a chance. This word of God's got everything. It's lacking in nothing if we just let it in. Long as we fight it, it's gone. And then there comes again the Christ-likeness of trusting him regardless of the day. Oh, how we grow. Death comes in sorrow. Think of old Job. Job again, he didn't fight the word of God. He let it come. And he lost everything. He lost his children, his boys and his girls, and he lost all that he had, and filled with boils, and he was still able to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And again, the word of God could come, and I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that at the latter day he shall stand upon this earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. I challenge you, you give me a better tool than the foolishness of preaching. 
Oh, there are times when you and I may lose confidence in it and we may say, why didn't he give us a stick to go out and to plow up the face of the earth or why did he give us a sieve to go out and bucket the water of the ocean? Listen, when he gave you and me the word, it's perfect, brother. It's got everything. Again, it will do miracles in the life of any man when he stops fighting it. This is the contingency. You've got to stop fighting the thing. When you and I realize that, then we're going to look at ourselves and say, well, what's it doing in my life? What's the word of God done in yours? Is it uh, just like, again, is it just like a sieve that you and I say it doesn't do any good? Well, again, why? Why? Why are we fighting it? Well, there are those that tell me that I can never accept the word of God, the deity of Jesus Christ, his virgin birth. And may I say to you, young man or young woman, when you turn to the word of God and you stop fighting, it's the most perfect plan of salvation. It must have come out of heaven. That God's son, he came into the world, he had to be without sin. He was born, therefore, of the virgin. He was God's son, big enough to be our savior. And on the cross, he bore hell and damnation for all of us that by grace, by love, by the freedom of faith, salvation could be yours and mine. I challenge you, if that didn't come out of heaven, where did it come from? That isn't the trouble. There isn't any one of us that will ever stand on the day of judgment before Christ did. The reason I rejected you is because, again, you couldn't convince me. Jesus will say, that's a lie. You rejected me because you wanted to reject me. Well, I know Calvin... In Geneva, Switzerland, he tried to blame it on predestination. He said the reason why some are saved and some are lost, God's predestined some to heaven, predestined some to hell. But there's nothing in the word of God that predestines anybody to hell. God says, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked man turn from his way and live. If you and I don't have him, after hearing the word of God, if you and I aren't growing, there's only one reason we're fighting him. What is it in your life that means more to you and me than Jesus Christ and life and salvation? What is it? What is the besetting sin? Where is that in your life where you and I won't let him in? You know, if there's something blocking, what is it? You and I had better repent. Lest again we be guilty of the sin against the Holy Ghost. We can go on. We can go on doing wrong that we know is wrong. And we hardened our hearts until the time comes when the Holy Spirit will no longer wrestle with us because it's hopeless. It would be better for you and me that we had never been born. If the word of God hasn't done anything in your heart and mine, listen, brother, let's ask the question, why are we fighting it? And when you can answer that, there's the trouble. It's not in the word. Oh, it may be foolishness preaching. Say, who wants to go to a church and hear a preacher preach the foolishness of the word of God? But I'd like to tell you, friend, or that it couldn't be any greater or more powerful. Up on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus says it'll flourish. It blossoms forth and it grows. You don't know how. It's got everything. I couldn't give my church anything any better than that because he also assures us that the Holy Spirit, he gives this word all the power that is needed, that it never fails, that it's always successful in causing you and me to mature and come to rightness as a Christian if we don't fight it. Finally, we grow to rightness and we say, what do you mean? We grow to maturity, don't we? When we grow to maturity, as long as we don't fight the word of God, what happens? When Jesus says, I shall love thy neighbor as thyself, we begin to realize that every man who needs our help is our neighbor. 
that prejudice that you and I may have in our heart against others yet goes because we realize that every man is precious in the sight of God. There comes a concern for a man's eternal welfare and also for his earthly. Look what happened to this man, Saul of Tarsus. He became the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. Starting out at Antioch in Syria, down to the island of Cyprus, up through Galatian country, the first one, second missionary journey coming over to Troy, over in Asia Minor, Troas, crossing the Aegean Sea, up into Macedonia, going up into Philippi, down in Thessalonica, over into Berea, down into Athens, and over into Corinth, the third missionary journey, three years in Ephesus and Asia Minor. He practically won the world for Christ single-handedly. And with it all concerned about earthly things, he was taking up an offering for the poor, for the poverty-stricken in Jerusalem. When you let the word of God come in, when you and I come to maturity, we're concerned. This thing of prejudice. You ever seen anybody who didn't have prejudice by nature? Go over into the Middle East today and you can see it the horrible hatred of the Jew against the Arab and the hatred of the Arab against the Jew we were born in sin but when we stop fighting this word there comes an eternal concern we're concerned about a man's eternal welfare and then we also know what to do and how to treat him if he's hungry we feed him if he needs some clothing we put it on his back this is what we do when we mature then this word of God, it never fails. It keeps you and me alive until the day of death. Well, I know there's a lot of brickbats being hurled at the church and even in the church, even in our own American Lutheran church. There are those who are wondering and fighting for places. And they're saying, why the church? What's the job of the church? It's just about time that we go back to the Lord of the church and we ask him, what do you want us to do? We are to win souls for him and for eternal life. It's about time we're realizing it. It's about time we're turning back to the eternal word. And we're saying the tool you gave us, this foolishness of preaching, it's tremendous. But you see, it's contingent. You heard me mention again, tomorrow night we're starting the adult lectures. Just a general announcement doesn't mean much. You know that. Did you ever belong to an organization and call for volunteers and you didn't get any, did you? The seed, the word of God that has all the power, the energy, it still needs something. It's got everything. It needs your approval in mind. It needs your recommendation in mind. Have you and I recommended it to somebody tomorrow night? That you and I are sold on this word, that it can do things. It's got everything. It's the answer. So a man's soul need, you going to be there? Or aren't we sold on? Remember the story about the boy that grew up in one of the Balkan countries and he grew up in poverty and his aged mother was and he came to the United States and he said, Mother, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to send you some money. And he came to our country and got a job. The first thing he did with his paycheck, he went and got a new crisp $20 American bill and sent it to his mother. He says, now, Mother, you can go to the store and for once in your life you can buy what you want. She went to the store overjoyed with a $20 American bill backed by the government and bought groceries and gave it to the grocery keeper. And he looked at it and he said, no, can't take that. He was afraid of it. 
afraid, you say, afraid of an American $20 bill. Listen, they all are. In fact, woods countries, they don't know what a $20 bill looks like. Just like you'd be afraid if somebody offered you some foreign currency. And he, the grocerman says, go to the banker. And she went to the banker, and he looked at it and smiled. He said, I'll write my name on it. He endorsed the $20 bill. She went back, and then the grocery keeper took it. Listen, the word of God doesn't mean anything without your approval and mine. I wonder how many of us realize that this isn't a byproduct of the church on Monday night lectures here. This is the church at work. If we're to win the church, we're to win men for the church and for Jesus Christ. What are you doing? What am I doing? Does it have your approval in mind? Have you signed your name? I know a general announcement doesn't mean much, but are you coming? Have you given your approval? Do you believe it will do something? Nobody you know that's lost. Nobody, I don't care whether they join a manual. Doesn't it mean anything? We've got the tool, the word of God. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Doesn't it mean anything? I'd like to see you tomorrow night. This is the church. And when Monday night lectures series scale, listen, you can start to close up shop. You don't need all the parking. Forget it. If you and I don't say, this is the church. This is what our job is. When are we going to win the world for Christ if you and I aren't going to start doing something? Or are we going to start? And then again, the confidence that it, when a man doesn't fight it, believe you me, it works. Some of you have come to me and said, complain about your sons and daughters in college. You've cried in my office, hadn't you? You sent them to catechism. They've been taught right and they've come back and they're bitter. They look at the church with sarcasm, with ridicule. They have no use for Jesus Christ. They won't come to church. What do you do? Will they ever come back? Let me tell you this. When you've sowed the word of God, don't give up. This thing's dynamite. Just pray and wait. When they stop fighting. Oh, I had... One of these sons come back after two years in college and he came in to see me and he looked at me and it was always this condescending look, you poor deluded preacher. And we talked and he says, this thing is all gone. His professor gave him the light, see. His professor had told him that if Christ appeared to him, he'd spit in his face. And of course, this went over big with this young lad. And I simply let him talk and I said, well, if you're right, young man, then I've wasted my life. And I don't think I have. Well, I went on a couple of years and came back and he came into my office and said, you know, I haven't looked at the catechism since you confirmed me. Could I have a catechism? I'd like to buy one. I said, you can't buy it, but I'll sure give you one. And gave him. That was some time. He came back again. Bitter, yet be cynical. He came back in. And he said, something's happened. Something's happened. We sat in my office and we prayed together. And he said, I'm going to serve the Lord, the Lord of the church. Don't give it up too soon. This is the dynamite of God unto salvation to every man that stops fighting it. The Holy Spirit will call and plead with your son or daughter until the day of death, as long as it's, there's some hope there, don't give it up. As far as I'm concerned, it may be foolishness to preach, 
And some may say, well, you might just as well take a stick and try to plow up the face of the earth, or take nothing but a strainer and try to take water. All right. But after all, it did something to you and me, didn't it? It brought us to faith in Jesus Christ, that we didn't fight it. And I still believe it's the part of God and salvation. We ought to walk the glory road and we ought to say, I love to tell the story of unseen things above of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longing like nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. It flourishes and it grows, even though Jesus says, you don't know how, but it does. It's dynamite, see? Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, unto life everlasting. Amen.